I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. I'm uh, so, so glad that Zach could be last week with you guys. Some of you here got to meet Zach Nelson, uh, our special friend, and um, I think he slighted my athletic ability out here. Um, so I might have to talk to him about that. Um, so, uh, but it, it's neat to see how God has worked. And young man, you just feel old when the middle schoolers you used to work with are 30, and they have kids, and they're working in ministry, and it just lets me know I'm old. Um, so, uh, but it was, it was great that he could be here, and those of you who are here, I, I, hopefully you, you were blessed. Uh, so we wanted to go back to Acts chapter 20. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, this is where we were at, and we were studying this passage, and I shared with you that the, this is just kind of part uh, one, there is a part two, uh, as we look at this uh, focus of leaders in discipleship communities, and uh, what we've got here is Paul on his way to Jerusalem, and he's uh, kind of gathering his last resources of strength as he's preparing for really the last part of his life. And as he goes, he stops on this island and calls the leaders from this place called Ephesus to come. And Ephesus was very dear to Paul. He had spent three years there, more than any other place, and amazing uh, ministry was being done. Supernatural things were happening. It was just a... Uh, a special place in Paul's life, uh, so much so that he really he couldn't go there because he knew it would take too much time, and so he called the leaders there, and he has with every uh, confirmation from Scripture or from uh, the Holy Spirit from others that this is his last time to be with them, uh, and so um, we come to this passage, and I want to look at this. Last time we looked at it as what Paul believed. Uh, what things did he hold dear? And we, we learned, and we learned together, not just with Paul, that life is not about us, but about Christ. And so consequently, the choices we make are determined by his assignment, not just what's comfortable. In fact, I talked about Chad and Amanda uh, in that. And Chad, if you want to hear that, you have to listen to the podcast <laughs> to do that. Uh, and, and how that comes in our decisions. And then how Jesus, uh, that Paul believed that it's better to be giving than acquiring. And so he referenced a statement that Jesus had made uh, that is more blessed to give than to receive and, and just how that shapes his life. And so now I'm going to look at this at uh, the admonitions or instructions he was giving leaders. Uh, we are in a place in our church where we're considering and praying and preparing for uh, leaders in our church to be elders. Uh, our church has uh, listed some that we've uh, said, you know, when I think about the scriptural qualifications, these people come to our mind, and so we're in the process of training and, and uh, preparing, thinking through that, and then later on, uh, in 2016, there will be an actual final vote of affirmation of, yes, we do or do not believe the Holy Spirit has called these people to be elders in our church. So it's very uh, appropriate to consider this passage, uh, and especially what does it mean for spiritual leaders? Uh, and so not just in the church, but maybe in your family, uh, in your life. What does it mean to be a spiritual leader, according to Paul, as he gives it to this church in Ephesus? So let's stand as we read this together, Acts chapter 20. Verse 17, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. When they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, 
serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none among you, among whom I have gone about proclaim the kingdom, will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they braced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. You may be seated. Last week, we were at the uh, beach, and we had spent the uh, week there. And, um, you know, this is always a kind of a tough season to go to the beach, isn't it, with uh, the news of June and uh, July and August of shark bites and things like that on North Carolina and South Carolina. And, and here we are in South Carolina and uh, in the waters. And, you know, it crosses your mind, doesn't it? Uh, some of you I know have gone to the beach this uh, last few weeks. And uh, as you're there, you know, I'm, I'm the dad. And I've got the kids, you know, somewhere around uh, me. And, and you start to do what hopefully a dad will do or any adult is you constantly surveying what's happening. You know, where's the threat at? Where's the greatest danger at? And the thing about sharks is you can't really see them, can you? Hopefully, you know, if you do, it's, it's too late. Uh, but I realized while I was there that the greatest danger really wasn't necessarily the shark, but rip currents. And that was the thing I needed to be directing my, th- my thoughts toward and, and looking for what are the signs of, of the rip currents. And uh, fortunately, in, in where we were at in South Carolina, they, it was very calm. Uh, but the one thread I, I didn't really see of was uh, I was holding Canaan on my back, and we were just kind of walking through, and all of a sudden I just felt something wrap around my leg with stinging. Uh, yeah, so some of you know exactly what that is. Uh, and so that uh, then proceeded to say, let's go, let's go, let's go, run, run. And everyone, no one around was really knowing what's going on. I was like, ah, something stung me, you know, uh, a jellyfish. And so... Uh, Evidently, it, it kind of garnered enough attention where, like, ladies were coming and saying, what's wrong with you, you know? And it's like, hey, let me get some vinegar and, and, and all that. And so, uh, you know, that's, that was a scene, and, and they all kind of 
followed because that was part of my job. And, and when they see dad in a panic running and skipping like a girl, then, you know, <laughs> something needs to happen differently, you know. And so they're all following my lead. Well, you know, that's part of what we do as dads. And, and I still kind of blame it a little bit on Cain. I think the jellyfish was drawn to him, you know. Uh, but it was glad he was on my back and not walking. Uh, and I took the stung and not him. Uh, and so when we think about this and spiritual leading, there's very much this idea of being on guard, watching for the threats to the spirit, and being willing to take the sting. Being willing and able to take the sting of the threat. All right? So Paul is making sure that this church that he's ministered to has some people doing that. And he needed it. He needed it. Uh, evidently, already there were threats there from what Paul brings out. We learn in Ephesus, or in Revelation chapter 2, that there's a letter given out from John, and one of them is to the church in Ephesus, and he warns them, you have lost your first love. Go back to the things that you've left. Love God. And what did they leave? Well, you know, Ephesus was this place where they literally burned millions of dollars worth of literature about the dark arts. And they burned these things in light of seeing the power of Christ. And so this this repentance and love toward God. And so here's Paul saying, let let me give you some things to to look out for. And so uh, (laughs) we'll try to get through this. There's seven... uh, admonitions that spiritual leaders have to be committed to according to acts chapter 20 uh and so let's do what we can as we read this first of all when we see the example in in verse uh 18 and 19 he says you know how i lived among you the whole time from the first day that i set foot in asia Asia, serving the lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the jews and when i read this it lets me know that if I'm going to be a spiritual leader. If you want to be spiritual leaders, you've got to be committed to be a good example in humility. He says, you know how I lived among you. Look and consider how I served in tears and notice with all humility. Listen, this is going to be vastly different from just leadership. All right? Leadership in business life, leadership in schools, Uh, Leadership in political life really has very little to do with humility. For example, Donald Trump is pretty high in the polls. (laughs) Okay? There's just little humility involved in some of these things. And, And it's still very much the case when Jesus said, Look, when I'm talking to you, this world loves to lord it over others. And the fact of the matter is that the person of great influence is the person who has the most people serving their desires. In your workplace, you know who the big dog is because everyone there is trying to serve those desires. And that person's jokes are automatically funnier. You know, because they're in this position of, of influence. And so what we see in the spiritual world, that Jesus reverses it, and he says, look, if you want to be big in the kingdom of God, then you're going to be like me, and he takes the disciples and washes their feet. Even those who would deny him, betray him, in just a few hours. He washes their feet. And so, 
Here Paul says, look, if you want to be a spiritual leader, consider how I served you with all humility. And listen, here's one of the things that I've seen and I think is alluded to in Scripture, that humility often comes with trials. So We've got to be careful, guys and ladies, when we're praying about spiritual leadership, you need to understand we're going to invite trials and adversities to come into our life. There's few things more humbling than sobbing in your bedroom or in your office that comes as a product of trials and adversity. That's the road we go on as spiritual leaders. Because it is in their moment that we see the inadequacy of ourselves, and we trust in the Word of God and the power of His Spirit in our life because our abilities have dropped. Then we keep on reading. He says, Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you, verse 20, anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to, Greek, to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You go on down, you see in verse 24, he says, I, I want to finish this course to testify the, to the gospel of the grace of God. So if you want to be a spiritual leader, you've got to be committed to, being, to courageously teaching the gospel of grace and faith. To courageously teach that which the gospel says, which is about grace, what God has given for us, salvation is given to us, and faith. It's not what you earn, it's what you believe in, what you trust in, who is the great hope of your life. Can you believe in that? And I say courageously because the world is working against these core elements. Everything about this world, and sometimes even the church life, is not about the grace of God, but about how you deserve certain things. You know, it sounds like commercials, doesn't it? You you deserve this car. Wow, makes you feel good, you know? And that's what this world is trying to get us to breathe. And what the scripture is saying, you know, you don't really deserve anything, but God has given you everything. And to walk in thanksgiving and humility at the grace of God. And then so much so that it causes us to turn from our own loyalties and desires to turn to the greatest loyalty in Jesus Christ. And that's called repentance. Turning from this sin and trusting in Jesus. And he says this grace goes there, faith goes there, and you're, ha- you're going to have to courageously teach that. Why is it courage? Because basically we're saying we're all sinners. And that's offensive. It's offensive to talk about specific sin and ourselves as sinners. So be strong and courageously teaching the gospel of grace and faith. And then we keep on reading here. We go to verse 24. What is it required for spiritual leaders to do? Well, he says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 24 tells us that if you want to be a spiritual leader, be committed to finish the course. Be committed to finish the course. According to research done today for pastors... 10%, which was an elder, all right, an elder is a pastor, is an overseer, a spiritual leader. Only 10% of those who start as pastors end as pastors. 
<laughs> I was talking to Julie about that. I was like, I'm not encouraged. <laughs> 90% of the people I started with are going to not be a pastor for various reasons. I've already seen that happen uh, since 2000 when I graduated from seminary. There are quite a few of my friends and roommates who are no longer pastors. So, why? Well, there's various reasons, but one of them is distractions. Uh, Finish the course. Stay the course to say, this is the road I'm going to go on, and I'm going to steer away from resentment. I'm going to steer away from vengeance. I'm going to steer away from that which is good, but not as the best. I, I think about the movie Patriot. It's one of my favorite personal movies, The, the Patriot. And, and one of the things is that the guy, Mel Getson plays the, the Patriot, you know, and, and he's tempted to go out in vengeance against the one who killed his family. But his son says to him, stay the course. Stay the course. There's something more important in life than your own personal resentments and vengeance. You understand, there is something great about our life. And if you're a spiritual leader, or you're called to be a spiritual leader, there is something worth living and dying for, and not to get derailed by resentment. But finish the course. We keep on reading uh, as he lists this out in verse 25. Now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming kingdom will see my face again. He says, this is it, guys. This is the last time. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. And we talked about this last time, how he believed there was a judgment day. And that, therefore, he did all that he could to share about the life-giving grace of Jesus Christ. And then he says, verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. If you want to be a spiritual leader, you need to care for the faith and identity of God's people. Care for the faith and identity of God's people. We understand this biologically, don't you? I mean, all the fathers and mothers out there understand there's certain things we do and we don't do for the biological well-being of our children. But you need to understand that there are things that can kill the soul. And God identifies those. And says, be on guard against these things. And he says to these leaders, you understand, there's going to be threats coming to your church, coming to this body that will deteriorate the very identity of who you are as God's people. Warn those, be on guard. And so the very first thing, you notice he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. To be a spiritual leader, understand first that you're going to care for your own faith, care for your own soul, nurture your soul, nurture your faith, go to those things that build your faith. There's, uh, football season has started, and I'm very thankful. Um, somehow I'm going to miss the whole Panther game today, uh, but I, that's one of the things I just enjoy watching football. And one of the commercials coming out is Tom Brady, and I know that's controversial, uh, not everyone likes Tom Brady, but there's this commercial that came out, and he talks about his practice and his drills, and it has this little tagline that immediately liked, rule yourself. In other words, the idea, rule yourself, you determine the characteristics, the attitudes, the habits that's going to be in your life that will bring success. That's the idea. When we take this and we see verse Uh, 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. Before you can pastor anyone else, you have to pastor yourself. You have to go to the Word of God and commit your own soul 
to God. You have to understand how many times will happen in my day, I will say, I know exactly what I'd tell someone else that's dealing with what I'm dealing with. But now that I'm telling myself, it's so much harder. It's so much harder to tell yourself. But that's what it means. Husbands, fathers, if are any of you who are in a spiritual leadership position, you've got to look at yourself first and say, am I following Jesus? How is the health of my own soul? I love talking to some new dads, and it kind of occurs to them as they're watching something. I had a, a father do this not too long ago. He said, you know, I was watching this show, and my young daughter was there with me, and I thought, you know, she probably doesn't need to be watching this right now. You know, I probably don't need to be watching this right now. It's to understand what nurtures your soul. Are you going to the Word of God? Are you being around people that love God? Are there those sources you're going to that's helping you in your faith? And, and Paul says, if, if you're going to be one of those, you've got to first do this in your own heart. Care for your own soul and care for the souls of, of, of others. Watch out for the flock. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, he talks about this. Uh, to, uh, Peter says this, and it says, you've got to care for the others. And then he, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, he says, understand there is a shepherd of your own soul. One of the best things you can do as a spiritual leader is to point to the one who can do better than you. One of the things I try to tell my own family is, I'm not good at this, guys. <laughs> I'm working at this. And you have the misfortune of being my guinea pigs as I'm trying to learn how to do this. But the best thing I can give to you is to know there's someone better than me. There's a shepherd of your soul who knows your soul. And that's what First Peter is bringing out. And then we keep on reading. We'll find a fifth instruction or admonition for spiritual leaders. He says, Verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. This is a heart pain thing. Anyone that you have spiritual responsibility for, you're probably going to cry over at some point. You invite pain. You invite pain into your life. And now, verse 32, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is why it's so important to know that chief shepherd. You see, if you're going to be a spiritual leader, you're going to have to trust in God's care and trust in His Word. You see, when it's all said and done, though I may be a pastor at this church and I have pastoring responsibilities in other uh, smaller circles, and you might be a pastor as well with a group of people that you care for, when it's all said and done, I cannot change your heart. And that really frustrates me. I can't make people change. And you can't make people change. I mean, it's a miracle when our own heart changes, isn't it? Much less that person you live with, that you're caring for. So that's why Paul says... I've got limitations. I can't do everything. In fact, I'm not going to see you again. 
So I'm going to count on God. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. There's a part where as a parent, you're raising up your kids and you are the face of God for a while. But then somewhere along the way, you've got to figure out you're not that anymore. You're a coach. You have to make some transitions. But with that transition, when that time comes, and those of you who have grown adults, you know this, God's still God. And He still knows their heart. And there's nowhere they can go that God does not know. And there are things that God can do that you can't do. And so you commend them. And say, God, you deal with them. You deal with them. And so here's Paul doing that, commending them. And then he says, uh, remember something about me. He says, verse 20 or 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and those who were with me. And all these things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If you're going to be a spiritual leader, then you have to commit to live free from the love of money. To live free from the love of money. And somehow even churches have missed out on this. If we see money as the salvation, then what are we preaching? If money is your hope, if money is the source of your identity, then you're preaching that money is most glorious and by all means live for money. And so it is as believers in Jesus Christ that if there's anyone that is to be generous, it's to be God's people because we have learned that money is not the source of happiness. Money is not the source of comfort. It is a tool. And either we'll use people to get money or we'll use money to bless people. It's going to probably be one or the other, and you've got to figure out which one, and that's why he says, you've got to remember what Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive, to allow us to be generous. And so I'm not talking about tithing here. I'm talking about generosity that goes beyond that, to say, I'm going to give. When there's a need and I feel God moving in my heart, then the love of money is not going to stop me. I'm going to tell you that's going to make a difference in Nightdale. It's going to make a difference around the world. But it starts with spiritual leaders. And then we keep on reading. Notice how they end this thing. It's a very emotional moment. When he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, they would not see his face again, and they comforted him to the ship if you're going to be a spiritual leader you have to commit to pray you do it's very specific it's one of those things you know whether you did or didn't do but you cannot lead spiritually if you're not talking to the father the shepherd of the soul if you're not commending those that are in your charge to the shepherd if you're not getting his perspective and asking for his perspective asking for his wisdom 
then you're not dependent on God. And so it's one of those things that your prayer is like, you know, that's just so boring. I mean, I can do 10 things while I'm praying. Well, you reveal a lot about what you believe, about what you pray and don't pray. If you don't pray, you're simply saying, I believe I can do more things than God can. And to understand that God can do more in one, one, one moment than we could do in a lifetime. And I love the fact that no matter what age you are, we teach our preschoolers and we're teaching them how to pray. Because I know that some of them don't really have others teaching them. And when I'm visiting an assisted living, and I see some people that can't really even communicate well, whether you're three, or you're 93 and above, and you're dealing with disabilities, they can pray. They can talk to God. They can still do those things which gives purpose to the soul. So what's wrong with us 30-year-olds or 40-year-olds or whatever, just because we can't do other things, we don't pray, and we've lost the heart. We've lost the heart. Now, what I love about this is I want you to consider Jesus. Maybe you wrote down those admonitions that Paul gives us. Consider how Jesus, was he a good example in humility? The humility of God through Jesus Christ is astounding. That God would humble himself. That Jesus would humble himself. Not just for the disciples, but he did it for you. The humility of Jesus. Consider how he was courageously teaching the gospel of grace and faith. Did not shirk back in the face of opposition and did it to its end. And was he committed to finish the course? When it was at his hardest, he prayed, God, not my will, but yours be done. In the midst of the cross, obeying the will of God, knowing that it pleased God the Father for him to die upon the cross, to take your sin so that we could have his righteous standard. And as he dies on the cross and senses from God the release, he says, it's finished. It's finished. He completed the coursework. We consider how Jesus cared for us, shepherded our soul, and still does it today. Did he trust God's word and his care? Even in the midst of temptation, he fought the temptation with the word of God. He said, it is written, and I believe it. I don't take the shortcuts. I'm going to obey God's word. He lived free from the love of money. That was not what his life was about, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out in observing his life. So why do we tend to love money by being anxious about it? And then how he committed to pray. You know what the scripture tells us? Tells us in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
You get that? Jesus, in his position before God the Father, is literally interceding for us. He is praying for us, praying for our faith to stand, praying for us to turn to him, praying for us to know the grace of God, to save us from our self-destructive desires. He is even saving, praying for us even now. So when we see what Paul is teaching the people in Ephesus, he is just giving to them what Jesus himself is, not only for them, but is for us. So when we talk about being like Christ, it's going to take us down this road of spiritual leading. Do you care more for the souls of those in your charge than you do their life? Their biological life, even their education, their financial well-being. Because what does it profit those in your charge if they have the strength of an ox, they've got the money so they never worry about a problem, and they've got the intellect to figure out situations and to persuade anybody, what does it matter if they've got the sports ability of an NFL star, a major league player, if they've got these things, but they lose their soul? What does it profit that man? Let's pray.